Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Oh, come on. You could do a little bit better than that. Yeah. Good to see you're like, no, I'm actually having a genuinely bad day. Why am I cheering right now? Uh, people, when they come up with a mic, it's like the first thing somebody says, like, how's everybody doing? Somebody's like, actually, I was in a car accident on the way here. Got hit by a meteor last week. Struck by lightning. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I like this train of thought, right? It's interesting. Man, I'm excited to be here in church today, really excited, and I've, I've had enough coffee to get to my appropriate level of energy. Come on, where are my introverts at? Right? Maybe, maybe like being around other people doesn't energize you, but, but caffeine is there for people like us. And I was telling our friend that's staying with us, you know, I have, to, I have like a very particular coffee routine that I ramp up on Sunday morning. I wake up in the morning. Uh, and I get my first cup, you know, out of our machine there, and then I go to Black Rock or Dutch Brothers and get it, you know, uh, a double or a triple or whatever uh, enough, they'll, whatever they'll sell me, I'll take it, and then come here and get coffee, and then one little sip in between services gives you that just optimum level of energy and caffeination uh, for church. Well, I'm excited to be here. Hey, if this is your first time uh, and you thought you were coming to a movie, those are in the other theaters, but you're welcome to stay, and we're really happy to have you. My name is Jake, and I'm the pastor here along with my wife, Bethany. And uh, she's over there going, why is he telling these jokes today? Why is he telling these jokes today? No, I'm just kidding. But we're excited to have you guys here along with all the team. And I, I just know this, that um, whatever reason you came here today, maybe you, somebody invited you, a friend or family member, coworker, maybe you saw an invitation on TV or Facebook or whatever, or maybe you walked in here by accident. But however you, the mechanism that brought you here, what I believe is that actually God was working in uh, his, his mysterious ways to bring you to this place because he wanted to let you hear about his love. He wanted to let you feel uh, his presence. You know, as we're singing that last song, it's called Reckless Love and talking about Jesus leaving the 99 to pursue the one. I was just, I've just been really thinking about that, even that, that for all of us, we, we have many times this elevated vision of our own badness, of our own kind of failure, and, and really a diminished view of God's goodness and, and worship, this, that what we're doing in this singing and even being here together in church. It gives us the opportunity to get that right and get a right perspective of God, which is to see his grace and his mercy and his goodness for what it really is, which is far surpassing uh, what we ever could do uh, going the other direction. And I just want you to know whatever God has been represented to you, how God's been represented to you by other well, maybe well-meaning or not well-meaning Christians or pastors or whatever, that the God that really exists has called you to this place because he loves you so much and he's pursued you and he's thought about you and he's crazy about you even since the day you were born. Come on. And so in worship today, what we get to do is we get to say, you know what, man, under the blood of Jesus, as I come to, to the foot of the cross, like every other person, there's no you know, tiered system or step ladder system at the foot of the cross. It's not about what gender you are, what color or whatever, wherever you come from, it's not about that. It's about coming to Christ. And in that place, we get to receive redemption. We get to receive forgiveness and it's a beautiful thing. And it leads us into a life of worship with God and a life of purpose and destiny, and I'm preaching, come on, somebody. Yeah, so this, uh, really excited to have you here. Nobody's here by accident. God has brought us all here together, and I believe we're going to leave encouraged and on time so we can beat the, the, all the churches to the best restaurants. In Jesus' name. Have you noticed, like, I joke about this, but we go out to eat a lot on Sundays, and we'll go in there, and we do beat the other churches to the best restaurants. <laughs> So it's a joke, but it also could have a little bit of a footing in reality. And uh, that's pretty fun. All the Baptists coming in, I'm like, what's up? Preacher talked too long, didn't he? Mm. Sure, they do expository preaching over there, but uh, we're here at uh, Taco Bell early and uh, you know, eat that. Okay, so 
We have been in a series and we're continuing today called Us. We're talking about the church. We're talking about why church matters, why it matters to actually be here in the atmosphere on Sunday, why we can't just consume church like we consume Netflix. There's nothing wrong with going and watching preachers on YouTube. There's nothing wrong. Like I love worship. I love listening to awesome preachers, but there's something about being in the atmosphere, being in the environment that's different. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about that, that reality. You had to be there. You ever walk up to a group of friends, they're laughing and you're like, what's going on? And they're like, you had to be there. Oh, there's something about church where God has ordained this moment for us to come together as a bunch of unique, very different individuals to form something that's, that's really special and has a special place in the world. You know, we've had politicians, we've had, you know, presidents and prime ministers and parliaments and all these answers and governments and all these kind of world systems and people have looked to for hope and for answers. But the reality is, just like it was 2,000 years ago, the church is the hope of the world that this organization that is beyond, you know, just the Red Cross with, a, with religious symbology or whatever, beyond just a, a do-gooding organization, just the social justice thing, it's beyond that. There's, there's significance. This, this thing that Jesus inaugurated and started 2,000 years ago is still relevant. It's the way God chooses to work in the world. Church matters. It's relevant. God is bringing his hope and his healing and bringing in his kingdom through the church. What is the church? The church is the called out ones. It's people that have become Christians that have called on Jesus and he's brought us out of darkness into this new kingdom, into his light. And he puts us together on a team. And there's nothing magical about that. We're still a bunch of people that have issues and problems and agendas and things as we come together. People say, oh, well, I would go to church, but it's full of hypocrites. You're absolutely right. It's full of hypocrites. You're like, not me. Yes, you. <laughs> and yes, me. But, but Jesus is up to something, putting his church together. So we're talking about that. Now, one of the things that, uh, that is going on in our culture is people aren't necessarily proud about being a church person. Like how many of you would be a little bit uncomfortable to put in your Instagram bio or your Twitter profile, like, you know, church, church person, like I'm a church person. You, you wouldn't probably put that, would you? Now, people will say like, I love Jesus, right? Everybody's a fan of Jesus. But when you start associating with the church, you sort of get pigeonhole, don't you, into a particular thing. And a lot of people have this mentality of church. Now go ahead and show my first slide. Like we've had experiences with people like this, like the church curmudgeon. <laughs> and if, if the shoe fits, wear it, right? I mean, but <laughs> at the church curmudgeon, although this, this gentleman is um, born in the 1800s, it looks like, uh, you don't have to be an older person to be a church curmudgeon. You, uh, that, and isn't that not the best word in the English language, curmudgeon? I just love that word, curmudgeon. I think it fits me too, so. But the church curmudgeon, like this is an idea, you know, the young people are, what are they doing coming in here to the church with their skinny jeans with holes in them? And why is the music so dang loud? And, you know, curmudgeonly, right? And look, if you think, hey, he's picking on older people. No, 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 believe me, younger people can be absolutely as curmudgeonly. Tell you what, in Portland, I go to these coffee shops and they're full of curmudgeons. It's not even in church. You walk in, they're like, why are you here? Are you wearing American Eagle? <laughs> I bought this shirt from Goodwill uh, that came from actually another Goodwill. It's recycled uh, hemp uh, pressed thing. And our coffee cups are made of paper. They don't hold coffee. They disintegrate. But, you know, and you're like, I just don't, I don't compare to this. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, you can be a curmudgeon in any kind of area of life. Some people are like, I don't know what we're talking about today. Don't worry. We'll get there. But, but people have this idea of church, like church people. Church people are judgy, right? Church people are hypocritical. Church people are always there to tell you what you can and can't do. 
uh, and, and always in your, in your business. How about this one? Like this might be a popular image of a church person. Give me the church lady. Come on. Where's she at? Where's she be? Church lady, church lady. Boom. Some of you might be realizing, you might be thinking, is that a man? Yeah. It indeed is. It's Dana Carvey. And I can neither confirm nor deny that I have watched the church lady on SNL, nor <laughs> confirm nor deny, if you should. I, I actually uh, do not, um, not, I'm not promoting what he would say or do, but on your own recognizance, if you ever did want to find out. But this is actually how sometimes people think about church people, right? Is church people are like cur- curmudgeons. Church people are the church lady. They're judgy, Right. Why'd you wear that? Hmm, shameless hussy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and it's kind of this mentality of church. And so we sometimes don't really want to associate. But here, let me, let me give you this thesis. Here, let, me, let me talk about this, that living in this very con- connected uh, culture, technologically beyond anything we've ever had, like we can communicate with people on FaceTime and, and, and Skype and like talk to people all around the world and we can connect in social networks and it's just incredible all this connection and yet we find ourselves more lonely and isolated now than at any, any time before. And I think it has to do with this whole idea that we fight against in our culture, this thing that we've believed in where we've elevated the me above the we. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago that in Western society, we've developed a very individualistic approach to life, to fulfillment, and even to spirituality. So even in church, it becomes very much about your relationship with God and what God's doing in you and, and God's special relationship with you. And how many of you know that, yes, God has a special relationship with you? Yes, you are chosen and favored. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God formed and fashioned you. You, you know, we say it here, you were made on purpose and for a purpose. Absolutely, you matter as an individual, but there's something about the church, something about the we, and that God understands the way you were very fearfully and wonderfully made was to be brought into the context of community, and that maybe over and against this idea that is prevalent in our society, that you and I as individuals do not have the seeds of our own fulfillment and satisfaction and self-actualization inside of us. That perhaps you and I were actually made for something that goes beyond this, something that looks a lot more organic, even as messy as being part of a church. And that this true path of fulfillment and this true path of actualization and like really figuring out who you are is not to have yourself on the throne as the highest authority of what is right, good, and pleasing, and so on and so forth, but to to blend in and to be woven into the fabric of a community. And Jesus has very particular ideas about this. Like it's meant to be, we're meant to be woven into the community of the redeemed, woven into the community of people that have been touched by uh, Christ, that have been brought into his family. So what if we don't actually have everything we need internally? And And I believe this. I think that we actually need each other. And I don't just mean this in kind of like a, hey, you encourage me, I'll encourage you way, but basically we have our own lives. Like I think that I actually need you and you actually need me and we need each other, and you need the person to your right and your left, that not any one single person of us, one individual, has everything, but that together we represent the image of God. You know, not to go too deep into theology, but if you go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, when God creates the heaven and the earth, and he creates the man, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone, and so he actually separates out, and and, and it says that God created them, male and female, he created them, And he created them in his own image and likeness, that male and female, there's unity and diversity. That's actually where you see the image of God. It's in that diversity. It's not just one, it's both, right? And in a similar way, the church is representative of of Christ and of his community. It's not just me, it's we. 
So we're talking about this today. We're talking about this in this series about the church and why community matters, why church matters, why it's relevant for each and every one of us today. So I want to jump into the scripture here. I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 12, verse 4 in the message paraphrase. And I love this because it gives us a really good kind of 10,000 foot overview of how God sees the church and sees how our part, how it's to be played out. You guys with me? So Romans chapter 12, verse four, it says, in this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? Amen. <laughs> How many of you have seen this video of the mom? Have you guys seen this on Twitter or, or Instagram or whatever? This mom, she pretends she has a carrot and she cuts the carrot, you know, a chunk of carrot. She tapes her finger back. She puts a bunch of red something or other that looks like blood. She goes, she hits the chopping board with the knife and screams and her young boys run in and they see what appears to be a severed finger. And she's going, ah, ah, and the boys lose it. Ah, she's like, give me a towel, give me a towel. And they're weeping. It's amazing. I have a morbid sense of humor. You want to talk about revolution? I'm all about that class warfare between parents and children. You know what I mean? It's the, the great battle of, of our time. Uh, <laughs> anyways, you're like, this is a weird service. Yeah. You got to look it up. It's awesome. Chopped off finger or cut off toe. We wouldn't amount to much, would we? Just in case anybody was wondering, she didn't actually cut her finger off. It was a carrot. Okay. So since we find ourselves fashioned in all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. He says, if you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them, keep a smile on your face. He says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. This is talking about upgrading from ragu and actually learning how to make a pasta sauce. Come on, somebody. Be inventive in hospitality. Don't be like, hey, we just microwaved this. It's a carrot. It looks like a finger. Here you go. We're serving it. No, like, come on. Try. Like, be inventive in hospitality. Show people the love of God through the food you make. Come on. Can I get an amen? 14. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. How many of you struggle with this? Belt line. Five o'clock. Yeah. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. You know, we live in a world where we are very perceptive and able to 
see that there is evil, that people are doing horrible things, whether it comes out in violence or just the, the, the fighting, all the fighting, the negativity, the cynicism. How many of you recognize this? And the temp, five, five people recognize we have evil in this world. That's awesome. No, I'm going to give out five gold stars to those five people and the rest of you. We know that the world is broken. We perceive it. We feel it in our bones. We recognize it in every day. We see it in the news. We, we turn off the news because we see it too much. Come on. And there's a temptation, a pull to, to elevate the individual and to begin to use cynicism to fight cynicism, to use anger to fight against anger, to be violent against violence. And to begin to say, I can overcome evil with evil. And what the scripture says is, look, don't get pulled aside to the left or to the right and get tricked. You can't overcome evil with evil. You have to overcome evil with good. And how do we do that? We find in this picture that's been painted in scripture, the, the picture of a, a people group coming together and forming what we call the church, a people group that is looking to be the, the, a microcosm, to be a picture of the way God wants people to interact with one another. I want you to catch this. The church is not meant to be a group of perfect people who have no sin, who, do, who never make any mistakes, and who judge everyone else in the world. The church is meant to be a picture of what it looks like when people who are broken come together and get healed in Christ and work together and serve each other and love one another. The church should be one of the most intoxicatingly attractive institutions and organizations rather than a place that people want to reject. The church, thank you, that was awesome. I appreciate that resounding applause that I received for that scintillating theological point. The church should be irresistible. The church should be irrepressible. I don't have any more I words, but I would use one if I would right there because it would finish that triad. The church should be unavoidable. Like it should be so hard to not want to be a part. Like it should be hard because it should look so beautiful. People blending together and saying, I'm going to serve, I'm going to love, and I'm going to be here for you and support you even when you're down. I'm going to be there for you and, and cheer you on when you're doing good. When we come to Christ, this is what's meant to happen. And yet what's happened is because we've made our relationship with Jesus purely about the individual, this thing that we're doing together has become less important. And therefore it becomes irrelevant when people look into it. And what I'm calling us to today is to say, let's get, let's get a fresh vision. Let's get a fresh impartation of what us looks like the we above the me. Come on, there's nothing like the church. When the church is doing what she's called to do, when she looks like she's called to be, she's a beautiful bride of Christ. She's the body of Christ. She's the hands and feet of Jesus. Like this community should be so attractive to people looking from the outside in. It should be like little Tim and uh, what's, the, uh, what's the, the, the Christmas carol? What's his name? Tiny Tim. There we go. And he's looking in right at the feast. Remember that? In that story? And, and he's looking in it and he's seeing all the food and all this. This is what it should be like with the church, except for the fact that we're opening the door being like, hey, if you're outside, come on in. Because we got food on the table. Come on, somebody's here to love you and to work with you and to be a part of your life. This is what the church is meant to be. So what if in pursuit of individual fulfillment, we missed the fact that this thing that we're craving and wanting is actually found in community? You see, we should be proud about being a church person, Right? Not because we're so great or good or look at me, I've done so, such amazing stuff or I'm perfect. Look, I'm judging you. I'm curmudgeonly now or I'm the church lady. No, like not looking down at people, but looking across and saying, hey, there's a place for you at this table. Like this is what I found in community. This is what I found in the church. So what I want to do today before we go beat the other churches to the best restaurants is I want to give you four categories, four things that I have found in my experience of church, people that were there for me that kind of took on four roles. And then also with these four roles, there's another 
another perspective, which is that we can play these roles and play this part for others in, our, in their life, okay? So four things, four roles that we, we need to see in the church that we do see in the church. Number one is the cheerleader. Number two is the challenger. Number three is the coach. Number four is companion. Do you notice they all start with C? Huh? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I, I point that out because my staff and my, my family and wife, they always tease me for using, you know, alliteration and acronyms and all that. But you guys like it, huh? Yeah, come on. There we go. A little shameless pandering. So here's the four categories. The cheerleader, the challenger, the coach, and the companion. I've, I've encountered these roles, people that have played these roles for me in my life to help me grow in God. And these are also roles that each of us can take on and play in someone else's life. So let's go through them. How many of you know you need a cheerleader? Come on, you need a cheerleader. You need somebody who's like unabashedly excited about you and everything you're doing and is not looking at your flaws and your faults and not looking at you like, well, you could have done this a little bit better. Cheerleaders do not point out what's wrong with your game. How many of you know when you go to like a football game, the cheer, you never hear the cheer, cheerleaders like, one, two, three, four, you fumbled, there's the door. They don't do that. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight, who's the worst? Who do we hate? You know, Richard. Like, no, they don't do that. You could be down by 50 points and the cheerleaders are like, go ducks. You know what I mean? And they have their, that's the best I got. I already did the moves in first service. You can watch the video, right? It's all you guys get. I told somebody, I was like, hey, when a, when a slightly overweight person does physical comedy in front of a lot of other people, everyone wins. How many of you agree? <laughs> That's what it's all about in the community. Uh, we need the cheerleader. You need people in your life who are like just about you and for you and behind you and excited about you. Even when you're not doing the best, they're not looking at your flaws. They're just celebrating and feeding and encouraging what's right about you. And you know what? It takes a very... A secure person to be a cheerleader. Because what it is, is it's saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not relating to you out of my own insecurity and projecting kind of like my own failures or where I feel like maybe I'm, I'm kind of a mess. So it's hard for me to affirm and just love you and just celebrate you. But when you're secure in Christ, you know, you can come along somebody and be like, you're just awesome. You're just freaking awesome. And everybody needs to hear that from time to time. Every once in a while, you know, my wife will just be like, Jake, you just crushed it. Like you just annihilated that. And I just like, my chest bows out. It's right. <laughs> you know, and I'm like swagger, you know, and then somebody else plays another one of these roles, but we need the cheerleader in our life. Come on. And guess what? When you're secure in Christ, when you have, when God is dealing with your needs and he's beginning to heal your heart and, and put back together the pieces of your, of your brokenness, guess what? You can be a cheerleader for other people. And this needs to be present in the church. We live in a chronically under-encouraged culture. We live in a culture that is full of cynicism and we're jaded and we're always looking, well, who did you vote for? And what did you do? And you're wrong. And you think that you're an idiot and you didn't, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, or you think this way. And we're just looking for any crevice or crack to slide in an attack or an assault. What if we were instead really open, just looking for absolutely anything to celebrate and praise? Because let me just tell you right now, when you talk about motivating people, when you talk about getting someone to connect with who they really are in God, they need somebody to come alongside and just celebrate the good and feed that and put the light on it and cheerlead. Come on, come on. So we, can, we need that cheerleader in the church and we can be that for somebody else. We need that. Number two, we need the challenger. Come on, say challenger. 
challenger. So I had, I had a challenger in my life. His name was John Gomez. And check this, his nickname was the Shanker. And he was a pastor, except for he was a Chicano from like LA. He grew up in gangs. He was on drugs. He, he and his wife would like had incredible stories of abuse to each other. Not one way, like she abused him just as bad, right? They were crazy, right? And they got radically saved. I think one time she kicked him out of the back of an open moving U-Haul truck. So we're talking about like street cred, you know what I mean? I've never done anything that cool or, or experienced anything that cool. I have nothing, no, you're like, that's not cool. It's not cool, it's not cool. But it's a little bit cool when you're telling it in retrospect and you're talking about somebody. Challenger. John was called the shanker. He was one of the most loving, gracious, incredible cheerleaders, encouragers. Man, this guy would pump me full of sunshine, like just love me, encourage me, be a cheerleader. But then there were these moments where he would be like, oh, uh-uh, this is not who you are. I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to get better. So I remember one time with John Gomez, like he would tell it how it was, right? You know what I mean? And we were outside of Joy Medford and, and I, I was trying to get out of something. And at the time I was in Bible college and he was our Bible college director. And he he called me out on it and he said, you know, Jake, you're being lazy. And I'm like, I'm not lazy. And we're screaming at each other in, in the front of the church, right? That'll be a good witness to people driving by. <laughs> I was driving by this church and I was looking for hope and I looked over and these two guys were just screaming at each other. <laughs> so I went to the Episcopalian church. You know, it's like <laughs> we were screaming at each other. Thank you for laughing, Jane. I appreciate that encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> we're screaming at each other and he's saying, Jake, you're lazy. And I'm screaming back, I'm not lazy. And I think I said, you're stupid. It was like two four-year-olds fighting. You know what I mean? Slap fight. And, but you know what was going on is he was challenging me. He was calling out excellence and growth and potential and not allowing me to slide down to the lowest common denominator of my character. You see, let me just tell you this right now. If you refuse to be challenged in your life or let somebody come and be a challenger to you and say, hey, you're wrong. And what you're doing is not good. You will be destined and doomed to a life of mediocrity. I want you to think about an Olympic athlete. Like think about Michael Phelps. You guys remember Michael Phelps? He's like the greatest swimmer in the whole world. He just dominates. Other foreign powers like actually have, have resigned their navies because Michael Phelps belongs to the United States. <laughs> Russia had submarines. We're like, Michael Phelps. They're like, we're done. We give up. Just take, us, take our money. You know Michael Phelps is an incredible swimmer, but you know what? Michael Phelps, I he had a coach that would literally in the, go, go, swim faster. Like you can do better. Don't give up. You need somebody in your life that's gonna push you to the, to the edge and beyond of your potential, the challenger. And yet in our culture, we're like, challenger, you don't need to challenge me. Like that's, you're imposing on me. Like you need to get around people that will actually challenge you. Now, some of you are salivating. You're like, can't wait to challenge people. No, not you. You need to be a cheerleader, right? <laughs> if the idea of being a challenger is like exciting to you and you're kind of like, ooh, I was thinking about talking to him and her and her and him and him and him. We're like, nope, your challenging card is revoked until you grow. But we need to get around people with challenge. See, I don't like to challenge people. I hate it. Uh, I'm very conflict averse and I, I, don't, I don't enjoy it. I don't like challenging people. And yet God continually puts me in situations where I'm required to say, that's not the right way. This is, I'm going to challenge you because I believe in you. It's still encouraging, but the challenger. Okay, you with me? Number three, you need a coach. You need a coach. You can be a coach and you need a coach in your life. For me, a relationship that I would say has been the most uh, amazing coach is my dad. He's, he's been my coach. He's been my cheerleader and my challenger as well. 
but he's been a coach for me. What does a coach do? A coach is kind of in between that cheerleader and that challenger. The challenger's saying, this is what's wrong. You need to fix it. A coach says, hey, this is what went wrong, yes, but here's what you did right, and here, here's how you're gonna fix this next time. A coach is gonna help you see step-by-step, step, this is what you need to do. And you think, well, what do you mean? What do I need a coach for? Well, you actually need a coach in your relationship with Jesus. Somebody, this will be called discipleship, really. It's like somebody saying, this is how you follow Jesus. So let's examine what you just did this last week. And let's, let's, let's examine the plays that happened on the field. And you know, remember right there where you kind of got a little off? Remember when you were like catcalling that girl out the car, bro? Yeah, maybe that's not the best. But dude, dude, you're doing good, man. Like, that's awesome. Like, you're, I appreciate your encouraging, you know, saying nice things about her. That's great. That's a good thing. So, but let's move to like maybe this direction. Come on, you with me? Like, we all need to be coached. And so coaching is, is hugely valuable, hugely important. And you never graduate from needing to coach. So even right now, you know, Bethany and I, we, at 3 p.m. on Tuesdays, we have a coach. We, we tune in. We have a guy in Australia He's a, an awesome pastor. He's in his 60s. If I could look as handsome as him and have an awesome Australian accent when I was 60, I'd feel like a success. And we've paid, we've invested actually to be coached as pastors and church leaders because we know there's more ahead of us and we need to, we need to get feedback on where we're going. So we all need a coach. Are you with me? But we also need to be a coach, which means if you're one step ahead of somebody else, you can help them follow Jesus. This is what discipleship is. We're all taking the next step with Jesus but it happens in the context of church. You see, let me just tell you right now, you've never been coached by a YouTube video. Never. You go, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I, 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 I learned something. Right, but that's not coaching. Coaching is a specific examination of your performance in light of your future goals to help you get somewhere that you want to go. You can't be coached through a book. You can learn. You can be challenged. You can get self-revelation and self-awareness. I love C.S. Lewis. Like when I read C.S. Lewis, I'm like, oh man, this is amazing. That's why I have these elbow pads on my jacket. <laughs> I was at the coffee stand today and I told the lady I want to have a bubble pipe <laughs> so I can be in a wingback chair. And like when you come to my office someday at Skate World, all the books, and you're like, <laughs> bubbles. <laughs> I'm not going to smoke tobacco. It's bad for you. <laughs> but bubbles. Anyways, that's a deep joke. Some people don't get it, but, <laughs> but I'm not being coached. I'm not being coached by C.S. Lewis, right? When I read his books, I'm learning, I'm growing, but I'm not being coached. Coaching is personal. Coaching is individual. And so that's why church matters. Like you get somebody up in your business helping you to take your next step. All right. And then number four, you need a companion. Come on, you need a companion. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I'm not like good at these other things, but I'm like good at being a friend, but that doesn't matter. No, it matters a lot. You need, every one of us needs a companion in life. What does a companion do? What does a friend do? They sit with you in grief. They don't have the answer for you. They're just there for you. Come on. They, they sit with you in triumph when you're at your best, when you're winning. They, they're not there to, to pump you up more or to bring you down. They're just with you. They're excited about you for you. It's a friend that's with us. Now, the beautiful thing is as a follower of Jesus, you always have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Holy Spirit's always with you. But actually in the church, we need real friends to come around us and walk through this journey with us. Come on. And friends, as their companions, they might jump into being a cheerleader or a challenger or a coach at different times in life. But there's something about just having people in your life that you know, they're, they're not looking at you as like a project and you're not looking at them as a project. Like you're walking together step by step. You need that companion. So these are the four things 
there's more. This isn't comprehensive or exhaustive, but, but four things that we can kind of grab hold of and say, hey, I need this in my life and I can be this for somebody else. How many of you found something there to grab hold of today? Cheerleader, challenger, coach, companion. And you know, as we get ready to, to close up today, I think that it's always important that we put steps and action to the things we believe in. One of the things that I've always strived to be in my life and is important to me is to be an integrated person, a person with integrity. And I think that one of the things that the church gets a bad rap for, gets knocked for, is sometimes we are less, we don't live up to our ideals. So we preach about community. We talk about being a, being, yeah, we need a cheerleader, a coach, a companion. We cheer and we're excited. But then when it comes down to it, we sort of just roll back to our individualistic mindset. Oh, I'm going to do, I'm gonna do uh, this God thing, this religion thing by myself. But what would it look like if we as a church actually embraced it in the real world? What would it look like if we actually put hands and feet to this message and took this ideal about being a church person and how beautiful that is and what that looks like? And, and we said, you know what? I'm not just going to let it go in one ear and out the other, but what if we embraced real authentic community? One of the vehicles that we have here, and we don't just do it because you're supposed to do it. We do it because we believe in it. It's this thing called joy groups. So if you look here at Joy Church, you know, the, the whole idea of our church is all of us are following Jesus together. Okay? Whether you walked in today for the first time or whether you've been here for since the beginning or whether you've been following Jesus for 30 years, we're trying to take the next step with Jesus. And so we say, hey, go to Next Track and be a part of a joy group. And it's not just something cutesy that we do because we think, oh, churches are supposed to have small groups. No, it's actually the heart and the core of what we're about because I truly believe, and I know, I know we truly believe this, it's not just a, something we say, that relationship is where discipleship takes place. Like actually in the rubber meets the road, you know, getting with real people and connecting in the real world and meeting cheerleaders and challengers and coaches and companions. And in that, that, that whole dynamic interaction is where the life of God and deeply spiritual things happen. We, we've made a mistake where we think spirituality means it has to be like esoteric and abstract and out there, but actually being deeply spiritual things are very practical and natural. Like, do you commit weekly to go and be a part of a group of people that are following Jesus together and you're taking your responsibility as a part of that community seriously. Coming to church every Sunday and just being here in the atmosphere is a deeply spiritual act that will provide for you incredible results over the long haul if you'll be faithful. It's like, you know, when we plant seeds, when Bethany goes out and plants seeds in the garden, we don't always, we don't plant the seed and come back tomorrow and be like, where are the tomatoes? There's no fruit. Like, I'm out. You know, that's how I am. But she's like, no. Patience, grasshopper. You need to wait because we planted these seeds and the harvest is on its way. And so it is with things like joy group, with being at church, being a part of community. It's like, well, I was there and I didn't like get the most mind-blowing revelation of all time. Well, no, but you were there and your presence made a difference in someone's life. Because actually us coming together in community is a testament, it's a witness of what God is doing in the world. When you think about the fact that in this room right here are people that you would hate how they voted and they'd hate how you voted. There are people in here of different ethnicities and races and genders and people in here from different socioeconomic classes. And the only reason we're here is our shared love of donuts <laughs> and actually our connection with Jesus Christ. That he has called us out of every nation and tribe and every, every different distinction and category and grouping that we could come together 
Many of you don't even have the same theology as the other person. You don't even believe the exact same things about God. That's not even what's bringing us together. We're all coming here connecting with Jesus, and he's saying, I'm connecting you to each other, and I'm building something beautiful. I want you to be a picture of the way the world is meant to be. And yeah, we aren't going to get that perfect. We aren't going to get it exactly right until Jesus comes back. But I'll tell you right, I'll tell you what, when the church begins to function as the church, it is irresistible, and the world will look and say, man, I want to be a part of Jesus because I see his community, I see his family, I see what's taking place. The way it is from the stage is the same as it is at home. Like I wanna be a part of this life of God. I wanna be a part of that. And so here's the thing, what's our takeaway? In a couple weeks, we're gonna be launching a new round of joy groups. A bunch of different ones are opening up. Kyle's gonna tell you a little bit about us uh, recruiting leaders to lead groups. But I'll tell you right now, I have a vision of our city being absolutely peppered. Like everywhere you look, if you were to look at a map of Lane County, you couldn't, have, you couldn't miss an opportunity for somebody to connect to a warm, hospitable microcosm of the kingdom of God taking place all across the city and area. And we want to see joy groups just spread all across, not just so we can say, man, we've got this many groups, yay, no. But so, so at any neighborhood at any point, somebody could walk by like Tiny Tim and look in the warm window and be like, man, I want some of that. And come to find Jesus. Because let me tell you right now, we're, we can't build buildings big enough to fit all the people that God wants to rescue in our community. There is no movie theater that's been constructed. It's not going to happen on Sundays. It's going to happen during the week. As the church, you guys and and me, as followers of Jesus, as we embrace community and go out into the world around us. Are you with me? So I want to encourage everybody to be a part of Joy Group, to really say, hey, maybe even for you, if it's like a big step, you're like, I've never wanted to be a part of groups. I'm introverted or shy or whatever. Um, I just, you know, it's not my thing try it. Give, it. give it a chance. And it's not just about what you get out of it. It's what you give into it as well, that you make a difference in someone else's life. So let's do it, guys. Hey, uh, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today, maybe you're like, Pastor Jake, this is cool. Like, I want to be a part of community. I want family. Like, I want this whole thing you're talking about, about church. Like, this is what I kind of thought it should be like. Maybe you had bad experiences or whatever, I don't know, but you're here today and you're like, you know, I want this, but I'm not a, I'm not a Christian. Like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And maybe even right now you're thinking, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I have to figure some stuff out. I have to get my act together before I could be a part. And I just, I'm here to tell you today, there's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. God brought you here to this moment to hear this crazy millennial guy with skinny jeans and a C.S. Lewis jacket tell you about Jesus, so that maybe in that kind of crazy moment, you could just put your faith in him and your trust in him and begin to follow him. And right now, today, I'm telling you, you can join the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to save you, rescue you, come in and heal your heart and make you brand new. And if that's you today and you're like, okay, I want to follow Jesus. Like, I want to follow him. I want to give him my life. I want him to lead me in in this journey. I want him to save me from my sin and what's wrong with me on the inside. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much all over this place. Thank you. I want to follow Jesus for real. Come on, there's more people. I want to, I want to like really follow Jesus. Thank you. Not as a hypocrite, not as, not like as some religious person and I don't want to be the church curmudgeon and I don't want to be the church lady, but I want reality. Like I want to know God. I want him to know me. I want him to see the dark places in me, the good places. Like I want him to rescue me, redeem me and be a part of his family. If that's you, come on, just lift up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Will you pray this prayer with me? Just pray it with sincerity. Let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. 
I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. Thank you for bringing me into your family. I put my faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.